Words matter. This is TFG Unbuttoned. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash, an off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. Hello, everybody. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, John Nash. We are TFG Unbuttoned, the Tuesday podcast from your friends at the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Be sure to find us here every Tuesday at uh, every Tuesday morning with our podcast, TFG Unbuttoned, where we take three stories that uh, we'd like to share with you. It's 20 minutes in and out. You can find all of our media housed at focusgroupradio.com, including our Wednesday show, which is the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. How are you? So, you know, John, I, I did words matter because three of our stories today, or at least two of them, have to do with words and language. But uh, it reminded me of I got in trouble this weekend because I was listening to 80s music and somebody said I was such an 80s baby with music. But do you remember the group Missing Persons in the song? What are words for? Just a little what bit. are words for? Right. No one listens anymore. Any- <laughs> words for. It's just, so right, history keeps repeating itself, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and what a great band, right? Yeah. So I I, uh, I laughed about that. And um, and then, of course, we had our uh, our issues with politics. And, and my, my summary, which I don't know why, why people just didn't um, say this. I don't know why. But apparently more Republicans felt it was more Republicans voted to remove a president over a blowjob than overthrowing the government. It was really that simple. Yeah, I uh, I watched the Monday morning quarterbacking and the Sunday talk show circuits for certain politicians and um, the praise and also the scorn for uh, Leader McConnell's vote and then his rather, um, you know, intense rebuke and speech afterwards, which, you know, you have to say to yourself, well, if you feel that way, why don't you vote that way? But it's, um, you know, I'm beginning to tune out some of this stuff because I want Biden to succeed. The country's uh, in a really difficult situation right now between, um, you know, vaccine distribution and caseloads and, and uh, high unemployment. So it's amazing to me that while all this real life stuff that goes on where people really need government to function and to really be something that's helping them out and providing structure, what are the people that are in the governing class doing? They're all pointing fingers and bickering um, and, and deciding who's going to bend a knee down in Mar-a-Lago and who's not. And it, I can see why you just stop paying attention. And I've often puzzled by why people don't vote. But I'm beginning to see a very clear uh, case that you could make for that, because no matter how you vote, this game still goes on. It's like a clown car, right? Yeah. But that, that was my my summary of the whole thing was just quite simply that um, we had a president that tried to cover up an affair in Bill Clinton. And uh, the one party felt that that was more egregious and more worthy of taking him out of office than trying to overthrow the government. To me, it was really that simple. Well, and let's let's be even more clear. Um, no one died with President Clinton redefining the word, you know, remember that, you know, well, how do you define that word? <laughs> There was no um, Capitol Police involved in that. There were no people that passed no. away or got trampled by a crowd. It was sex. Yeah. And everybody lies about sex. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just, we watched, then we watched uh, Meet the Press and we're like, okay, I've got the facts that I want now and I see where this is going. And of course, you know, the same old actors stepped out from behind the curtain. Lindsey Graham's going down to Mar-a-Lago to help Trump, you know. What pictures does Trump have of Lady Graham? I, I don't There's know. There's something. Um, Isn't there? There's got to be something. 
Well, and here's just a little data point that I find fascinating. Um, I think it was on PBS NewsHour last week. They did an analysis of some of the people that were arrested um, at the Capitol riots and the insurrection. And uh, they found that a large majority of them just didn't even vote in the last election. So you have this fictional, you know, the base, the vote, you know, we want to hold on to these people. And then you have a very clear, plain picture on TV of the, the people that supported him. And then you learn that many of them didn't even vote in the last election. They didn't vote. And the other thing I find odd about this whole thing is that some of them have asked, you know, they were like let out on bond, a lot of them, and have asked to leave the country to go to destination weddings, or they paid money to go on spring break. No, and no. <laughs> it's, it's just such a... And somebody actually said this. Do you think if it was Black Lives Matter or it was a Muslim terrorist or something that they would have been allowed to leave the country to go on vacation? It really is just, just, it's just great. It, it, it's exactly what you said. It just, you almost want to tune it out and just say, you know what, let's just move on because nothing appears that is going to change. And it's very frustrating for people that know right from wrong, or at least morally know right from wrong. So you just get very mm. frustrated, very frustrated with the whole thing. So yeah, that's that. Did you have, did you have any chocolate over Valentine's day, John? Of course I did. I love chocolate. I know uh, we you don't, have chocolate you, all the time. That's why I was wondering whether you, you, you had any, any chocolate treats. Well, it was none that were um, branded Special. Valentine's Day. Bob and I both actually have chuckled at this because we're like, remember how early it was in our relationship that we realized we just did not want to be stuck in worrying about Valentine's Day? <laughs> so we're like, yeah, I remember that. I, I was love that. You, you probably cut everything out early. I learned, well, that I learned that lesson from you, by the way. Thank you. No gifts, no nothing. You, let's go out for dinner. Yeah, but, there you go. You know, don't worry about Christmas. Don't worry about birthdays. Don't worry about this or that. I, and I love the whole idea. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so we have, we have uh, three, three stories this week. The first one, um, this, this had kind of caught my eye because I, I saw the headline and, and uh, it said, first we saw hand sanitizer, Lysol, toilet paper flying off shelves. And now the latest thing to, um, to be in short supply in the food chain is, in fact, pet food. And so I noticed this in the last probably two or three months, little Spike, you know, the chihuahua that I have, he only eats a certain type of little treat. And I've not been able to find them. And I've looked anytime I go to a certain store, a big box store, I look for these treats and I can't find them. And I thought, well, maybe they stopped making them or, and they're this Rachel Ray Nutrish thing. It's a chicken thing. It's one of oh, the few sure. things he'll yeah. eat because his teeth, he's 19 years old. Well, he's only got like five teeth. So. Right. So he eats these things and they're soft and I can't find them. I thought, well, maybe she stopped making them or whatever. But every once in a blue moon, I would run into them. So I saw this story and this this revolves around a, a few a pet shelters and some people that um, have, have talked to PetSmart and Fresh Pet and um, some of these cat and, uh, and dog food manufacturers. But we had covered this story um, before, probably six months ago on our main show about how with uh, the event, a lot of people were adopting pets to keep them, I, I guess, to keep them uh, company. And so what now has happened is with all these new pets that people have, have adopted, it's affected the supply of pet food and a lot of the pet food manufacturers haven't been able to keep up. That was my, my takeaway on this. Was, was that yours? Yeah. That, that, uh, well, in general, Many, many supply chains are disrupted. Now the pet industry is experiencing um, disruptions up and down the line because a lot of popular brands are smaller family-owned businesses and they have a very uh, distinct uh, distribution pattern and manufacturing pattern. And then there was another part of the article that was interesting and it was about metal. 
So the cans that hold um, dog food and stuff like that are getting more expensive to manufacture and harder to source. So that's contributing to delays and also cost increases. But I noticed this. So you sent me the article and I we were upstate um, and we were at the shopping center or whatever. And uh, we happened to go down the pet food aisle uh, to get somewhere else. And I was actually struck by the sparse amount of product on shelving. You know, there was some dry food, there was cans. And I was even wondering if they're going to start having people like restrict people to say, um, oh, you can only get um, five cans of that or you, you can only do this you know, one time a week or something. But um, I'm sure we'll get figured out down the line. But if you have a favorite brand, uh, like one of these family owned uh, smaller dog food things or cat food, you're going to be searching for it if you can't find it and you might have to go with alternates right like or or you walk into a store and is there sometimes just nothing on the shelf well you know what i thought it was i thought it was the food shortage and i thought maybe people were eating animal you know eating pet food no <laughs> like in gray gardens yeah that i i don't think that personally i don't think that you mean the uh food food scarcity that's what i thought <laughs> didn't you i thought no. remember you know big and little lady would have pate put on a crack with a little lemon and mayonnaise yeah, well, uh, yeah and, and and we always laughed about that in Great Gardens because you actually wondered, did, did she know that she was putting cat food on? She most certainly or? knew. <laughs> a little mayonnaise and lemon. It's fine. It's pate. Mm. <laughs> Get the salmon brand of Beneful. There you go. Yeah. Next time you come over, watch out, John. The um, the second story, the Tokyo. So the Tokyo Olympics, as we know, have been postponed again due to the uh, due to the event. And so there's another kind of what they're calling the triple triple uh, whammy to not only the fact that the event has been been canceled, but there's been some other issues with uh, around the Tokyo Games. And so the latest thing is the um, the head of the Tokyo Olympics had to resign last week over a scandal over sexist remarks he made about women. And um, he essentially had said that um, he had to apologize for a remark he made saying that um, women he felt had, um, what did he say? He said they talked too much. They talk too much and they have a strong sense of rivalry. And he said this during a board meeting earlier in the month. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, the gentleman who said this, um, isn't it last name is Mori? Mori. Yeah. Yeah. Yoshi. Uh, he's a former prime minister. Yoshiro, uh, Yoshiro Mori. Mori. Yeah. And he's 83. So I'm not going to put anybody in a box, but we know the time period he came out of, right? <laughs> and it is Japan. And we've often talked about how difficult it is, uh, women, for example, um, you know, just how that whole culture views a lot of different things, right? Women and minorities, um, yes, yeah. you know, they're not, um, uh, you know, people talk about racist Americans, so forth. All countries have a certain amount of racism and let's not kid ourselves. And I used to see it an awful lot when I would travel to Japan and work with the Japanese. And this isn't, this isn't a knock against them, but, um, you know, as I said, all countries have their issues. And, they used to pull me aside certain times and talk about different different people and ask why certain people acted certain ways and and um, it was very much a cultural shock to them and so this to me was not I was not surprised and and they talk about the fact that in Japan of all the industrialized country really does have such a disparity I think they said they trail Japan trails other developed nations in promoting gender equality it stands 121st out of 153 countries in the world in the gender gap index, meaning they have very little. I think it's only 15% of senior leadership positions are women um, in Japan. And I even know at, at Subaru, it wasn't until after I was there 15 years, to the very end of my tenure there in the kind of 
early 2000s, probably 2006, when you actually saw a intern or a management associate that would, you know, be rising up, hopefully to be a manager that was a female that they started to include. But when the U.S. would send female directors or vice presidents over to Japan, they didn't know what to do with them because they would go out and socialize and they didn't know what to do with the women. And they would want to send them out with the senior leadership of Japan's wives. And they're like, no, we want to go out with everybody else to dinner. Don't send us with your wives. We want to go out with the team. Yeah, because they're part of the team and, they, and they're co-workers. Yeah, it was so foreign. It was very foreign to them. So it's it, not going to jibe with the uh, the execs because wasn't the going out usually involve a karaoke bar and a tea house? And <laughs> well, you go to the comfort bar and you know spend eighty dollars to have some woman speak to you and drink uh, you know sakatori or whatever you have. Yeah. So this uh, <laughs> this is um, this is on the heels of what was going to be a difficult. Um, Tokyo Olympic Games anyway. And someone said here, uh, I think his name is Simon Chadwick. He said, Japan's staging of the Tokyo Games was supposed to be about the country changing, turning outwards, reforming and projecting a more contemporary image. However, it has been a case of triple whammy for Japan. First, the pandemic, then Abe, Shinzo Abe, leaving office due to illness, which was uh, late last year. And now Mori's resignation, because this, uh, the gentleman that said that comment about women did end up, end up resigning. Things could hardly have been worse than the situation Tokyo now faces. And this is also on the heels of Tokyo experiencing, or Japan, some of its worst event-related um, illnesses and cases. And um, I don't even believe they've rolled out the vaccine in Japan yet. So, you know, they're, they're trying to get athletes and, and guests and visitors all excited about coming to Japan in the summer which is really not that far away when now that we think in everything in terms of of the event right so i don't know how because you know already enthusiasm was a bit dampened right right even amongst you know normally the host country is probably where they're going to sell or have the most tickets for the events that go on and i i love the summer olympics personally i i, I like both but you know summer i get to watch swimming and diving and <laughs> all that stuff um and you know for obvious reasons i like that <laughs> So we'll see how this goes. Well, I was, right? well, yeah, and I, I wondered whether they were going to even do. Some people think they should just cancel the games, but um, everyone oh. knows what a huge investment um, a, a host country puts into. And there's national pride involved. And and how about the athletes themselves? Right, I mean, you know, when the training, the, oh, hours and months, and 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 it's not like they can. They're training for a specific point in time. And right. when you keep moving it, it's harder and harder to achieve your goals. And I just, and, and a lot of these young folks, you know, this is their dream to do this, to, to p compete and perhaps win a medal. Um, it, it's a great, it's a, I think it's a cool event, but um, uh, this year and last year, obviously, it's just going to be problematic. Yeah, I'm wondering if it will happen. I hope it does. Um, and if a country could do it, I, I, I have all the confidence that Japan can do it. True. Um, so I, you know, I hope it does happen, but, uh, this was just a, a, I don't want to say it was a blip, but probably something that wasn't welcome. Um, yet another all, problem on the sheet, right, right. With everything else that happened. This next story, um, one of our listeners had sent to us and I, I, I shook my head because when I read it, well, I'll read the headline. Indianapolis museum of art apologizes for insensitive job posting. This was in the New York times over the weekend. It says the museum wrote that it was seeking, so this was a job, a job description, and uh, they're looking for a new director. It says the museum wrote that it was seeking a director who would work to maintain its core white art audience. 
in addition to attracting a, no, a more diverse one. The Indianapolis Museum of Art at Newfields has edited and apologized for an employment listing that said it was seeking a director who would work not only to attract a more diverse audience, but maintain its traditional core white audience. And then the museum's director and chief executive, Charles Venable, doubled down in an interview this weekend and said the decision to use white had been intentional and explained that it had been intended to indicate that the museum would not abandon its existing audience as part of its efforts to, um, to move toward greater diversity, equity, and inclusion. So he still didn't get it. I read that and I thought, yeah, he doubled down. Yeah, we meant to say that. I mean, were you shocked when you read that? It was a doubling down, no doubt. And I did raise an eyebrow. And then I thought to myself, is it possible that he thinks he's clever enough to actually be literally just talking about data and statistics without any overlay of what's been going on in the country for the last year and a half or even longer? And what I mean by that is you could look at a, a pie chart and it could say how many ticket buyers are attending the museum on a regular basis. And it could be they could look at it by age. They could look at it by income. brand. They could look at it by a number of things, whatever they capture at the door going through. But if they happen to look at it in terms of um, just color of skin, you know, he may have actually said, well, we have a core audience. They happen to be white. They're art lovers. We don't want to, um, you know, we, we want to keep them coming here, but we also want to expand and have more diverse. Is it possible that he really was just looking at this through the lens of, you know, parroting some data points? Without realizing that when you say, I want to keep our core audience of, you know, white art goers, that, that you're really saying something that's going to ring practically toxic in most people's ears. Is it, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I just could, because as you read through the story, he keeps, they keep kind of doubling down on that it. That he would have changed his language, that maybe that wasn't the correct wording, but it, it's not like he would, he would go and take all of it away. He just was saying, maybe we didn't say it quite the right way. Right. It, says, it was very weird. Six, yeah. This is a six page job description, not a single bullet point. We talk a lot about our commitment to diversity. I don't even think you needed to say that though in the job description. Why not just say, you know, the the art museum is looking at looking for a a new director. And, you know, as you know, we've been in, you know, the Indianapolis Art Museum has a long history of blah 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 within the community and we're looking to continue to service the community and grow you know, grow the museum or grow the audience or whatever. You don't even have to mention yeah, diversity and 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 all that stuff. I I was well. Then the Times piece does a another little ripple where it turns out that Kelly Morgan, a woman who was recruited um, in 2018 to diversify the museum's galleries, resigned in July, calling the museum's culture toxic and discriminatory. In a letter she sent to Venable, the director, as well as board members, artists, and local media. And it says Morgan, who had served as the museum's associate curator of American art, called the museum out for its lack of trainings to address racism and implicit bias and a quote unquote racist rant by a board member who left her in tears and an Instagram post that included a black artist's work in a racial justice statement without consulting him after the museum failed to substantially support an exhibit he had created. So there's the first level of, I can't believe someone would say that. And then you get this little nugget thrown in as good reporting would do. And now I think it shades it in a direction of most certainly they're not paying attention. Right. Yeah. No, it was, it was one of those things where it's just, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, it reminds me, I think it actually was an Indian. It might've been in Indiana or Oklahoma where one of the legislators got up 
and was talking about somebody of the Jewish faith and used a, dis- a disparaging remark and said it and had no idea what he said. He, he, he did a racial slur and was talking about um, somebody of the, of the Jewish faith. And, and, and he just very, you know, nonchalantly said it. And, you know, people were like, you know, that, that, that's, that's offensive. It is? And, you know, had no... And so I wonder if this guy just thought, well, you know, it, we have a white core audience. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, it's just, I, I know. Yeah, no, I, I, know. I, I, I don't, um, I don't know. I, I read it. And then when I read that, I said, no, we intentionally put that in there. I thought, really? You're going to say that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought it was yeah. uh, an odd thing. But you're right. The New York Times, as a good, as a good, uh, one of the few, <laughs> the few, hopefully non-biased, right, journalists, uh, um, media media forms around uh, did their research and found out that maybe this is a uh, there's a larger an problem. Be, right yeah. an issue beyond the job description so it may and it may not just be the uh, Indianapolis Museum, the art museum it may be other museums as well that are all guilty of this hey we want to thank you uh, for joining us today on TFGM button uh, we would encourage you to check out the focus group our Wednesday broadcast from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook live and YouTube and of course All of our media, including today's Unbuttoned, is available at focusgroupradio.com. We'd love to hear from you as well. If you have any story suggestions or things that caught your eye, letters at focusgroupradio.com. And last but not least, a big thanks to Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, for bringing us to you each and every week. So thanks again for your time. Have a great and safe week, and we'll see you in the new one. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of the Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com.